Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt West this evening. I'm joined by Carlos Flores to discuss today's very beautiful and wonderful Texans one and six versus Jaguars one and six game. How are you doing tonight, man? Doing good. Just you know, recovering from the whole game. It was a it was a fun one. So I come to you asking the most important question in the world that everybody's wondering at this moment: What is in Jake Luton's futon? So I've actually got a picture of him pulled up here just so I have a little imagination running. Um, I'm going to say you'll find some traces of Axe hair gel. Okay. Um, definitely some like Keystone light stains. I'm getting that kind of vibe. Um, well, the good thing about Keystone light though is it doesn't leave stains. You know, it's all water. So you don't, really, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> right. It's almost like you're cleaning. Uh-huh. Um, and then a little bit of trivia that I found out in the last like day or two was that beavers actually something about their buttholes and vanilla extract. And, you know, I think because he went to Oregon State and their mascot is the beaver, we'll just assume that there's a lot of beaver tail in there as well. <laughs> that, uh, that works out. Yeah. Outside of that. Uh, uh think that may, maybe some chicken nugget crumbs. I mean, I don't know. There's nothing too much to this guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it was funny whenever like some of the broadcasting stuff for today's game. Like, yeah, we at least know Jake Luton can run. We don't know anything about Jake Luton. You know, he's six foot six. He's a former six round pig from Oregon State. And I don't remember one quarterback from Oregon State. I know they had that one year. They're 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 fairly good, but I don't remember one one guy, like even one NFL player from him. Aside from that running back, the Rams had Steven Jackson and Tristan Decoud, but I can't think of anybody from up there. Oh, man, Tristan Decoud. Oh, wow, I haven't thought of him in a while. You'll never think uh, of him ever again. <laughs> yeah, outside of that, I mean, I can't think of any big Oregon State alumni, so, you know, maybe this is their, this is this is the flag that they'll wave when they try to recruit kids. Yeah, I like the, I like the Axe hair gel for for Luton and he's six, six. So he probably has some really tall socks stuffed in there. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just imagining it's like a really just like, not only is it a nasty futon, but it's a futon organ. So there's probably some mold damage and the windows are always open and everything's just kind of seeped in there. And uh, it's definitely a futon where if you wake up there the next morning, you're very ashamed of yourself. You're like, you know, even though I'm 19 years old, like I need to make better life choices and it kind of spurns your life around for the better. So that's what I see. At least get checked for like a staph infection or something. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Or like whenever you start to like necrify, you're like, oh, okay, I know exactly where this came from. This came from Luton's Luton. (laughs) And I know they said his name is Luton, but I don't believe him at all. It has to be Luton. Um, And then from Joe, at Joe Cardner, he thinks uh, Jimmy Hoffa's body is in Jake Luton's Luton. You know, I can see that as well. Nobody knows where it is. I know in the Irishman, he's cremated somehow, um, but nobody knows what's going to happen to him to Jimmy Hoffa's body and Luton's futon seems like a, a good spot for me. Nobody would ever think to look. Yeah. So 
this this thing here with Luton playing today, I pulled up on Pro Football References Gameplay Finder. So here's every quarterback to ever throw a pass against the Houston Texans, and I'm not including Cecil Schwartz's two attempts at all. These are quarterbacks only. So we have Blake Bortles with 324, David Garrard with 264, Byron Leftwich with 172, Gardner Minshew with 129, Chad Henney with 94, Blaine Gabbert with 80, Mark Brunel with 59, Quinn Gray with 39, Cody Kessler with 30, Trent Edwards with 25, and Luke McCown with 13. Uh, who's your favorite Jaguars quarterback to ever throw a pass against the Houston Texans? So for me, it's actually going to be a tie. Um, one between Gardner Minshew, just because I love his aesthetic and the whole Uncle Rico thing. It's just, it's perfect. Like, he's a perfect representation of Jacksonville, Florida. And, you know, you can't ask for a better franchise representee than that. Uh, but I think the second, the the person that's tied with him is definitely going to be David Garrard for me. Um, mainly because Bortles was such a drag to watch and the rest of the guys just kind of like, you know, was patchwork here and there. But Gerard, they 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 tried. They tried their best to make it work. And for me, the the image of that, you know, Hail Mary, Glover Quinn mm-hmm. swatting the ball, it's always going to be burned into my mind as like one of my all-time Texan moments. So he kind of earns that spot up there because of that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, for me, it's Minshew too. And, like, the Jaguars aren't bad this year because of Minshew. Like, I know he had that fracture with them, and he was kind of, like, all over the place against the Chargers that game. But, like, he's been, you know, perfectly, you know, adequate. And I think one of the things with him is his brain's kind of slow still. You know, being a six-round pick and only having one, you know, year at the team. Uh, having, like, only one full offseason since being the starter. And, like, he's only paid $600,000 a year. And so Jacksonville has two first-round picks next year. They may, they're going to have at least, like, one, like, top-five pick. And then another pick probably like around like, you know, 16 or so, 18. It's been how the Rams finished out. They'll have like a, a fringe first round pick again with their second round pick too. And uh, they're going to have like $90 million in cap space next year once all their dead money kind of seeps away from you making it from some of the, the decisions that they made, the trades that they made too. And like with Minshew being paid $600,000, like I would love to see him get a full shot this thing. But whenever you pick him in the top five, like it's one of those things where it's hard enough to take a quarterback. Um, then there, but I like Minshew a lot. I think he'll at least be a Ryan Fitzpatrick figure in the league, where he'll bounce around, he'll be a backup, and you know he's not going to go away completely. Um, the quarterback though on this list, I think best exemplifies like just really awful Texans Jaguars football. It's probably Cody Kessler, and I think he started against them that Tom Savage year. I'm not entirely sure. I'm gonna go back and double check this, but he's right. he's the best ex- um, he's the best example of like really bad Texans Jaguars like spot starters. Uh, is who's your favorite like name on this list as far as like the drudgery of of Texans Jaguars football? Oh, it's uh, it's Bortles by far for me. I mean, just the the there there is nothing exciting about watching Blake Bortles. I mean, it it was it was like it, it was almost like torture for me because it was so long and. Yeah, I mean, he was tall and had all the physical attributes. Like, I remember coming out of UCF, you know, everybody was preaching about, oh, you know, he's built like a traditional franchise quarterback and all of this and that. He's got all the measurables and his arm strength and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And he was worth, you know, taking a shot with our pick. But Mm -hmm. my goodness, thank Thank goodness the Jaguars fell on that sword because, mm, oh, man, I mean, not only... I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, 
there's an interview he did with this uh, this lady. They they walked through his house and like no, she was like, oh well, what do you do for fun, Blake? And it was just so much of like the the most cardboard like plain uh, paint drying on the wall answers you could have <laughs> ever imagined. And it was like that makes sense. Like that tracks. Like Blake Bortles is simple, and that's how he played football. It was just simple and. There was no flash. It was just bland. Yeah, and whatever he said to you, the actual answer was just like, you know, drinking Bud Lights with my boys. That's all he really he really does, you know. Well, it's fun about Blake is like his rookie year, I think he had like 4,000 4, yards, and I think he threw for like 30 touchdowns, some were close to that. And then, but he threw like, you know, 20 receptions or whatever. And after that right. year with their defense, they has like, all right, you can't do this anymore. Uh, we'll just run spread and like throw quick passes and nothing's open. Just run for a first down, and I uh, just don't make any mistakes. And he was able to do that. And they were so frantic and blown that New England championship game that in that second half they really turtled and they cowered. And um, that was why they lost that game. They were afraid of Bortles losing it. They didn't lose it because of him, but they were afraid he was going to blow. And that's why they lost that game. Um, so Kessler started two games against Houston, or one game against Houston in 2018, and uh, he was 21 of 30 for 156 yards, which is 4.37 adjusted yards in attempt. And um, he he I didn't actually bench Bortles for Kessler that year because that was like the last year of Bortles and he was absolutely awful and uh, right. that led to Nick Foles and Jacksonville so um, and that was during like Houston's like big run whenever they just crushed teams who you know with the best run defense like one of the best run defenses of all time that year as well so enough Jacksonville talk we can talk about the Houston Texans because I guess this is still a Houston Texans podcast if you want to call it that so Deshaun Watson. Was sixth in DYAR and seventh in DVOA entering this game, and he's been really good every week since week four. Aside from how often the offense hamstrings him by giving the ball to David Johnson, and today you can even make the case that every run to Duke Johnson is kind of a waste of time too. So this week he was 19 for 32, 281 yards, two touchdowns, but he was sacked twice and hit five times. And 70 70s passing yards came on favorite routes to Will Fuller after what should have been a delay of game penalty too. Uh, so do you think Watson is really good today or merely good enough considering everything that happened? I think Deshaun Watson did everything that he could. I mean, he there there was some suspect throws like the one for uh, David Johnson where he just kind of let him out there and he got walloped and eventually got pulled out of the game. That, that was a bad throw, a uh, bad placement. I mean, he just at this point, most you know most quarterbacks know not that it's a hospital pass like they know not to do it um but outside of that um i think he did everything he could the the line today the offensive line i felt like played pretty pretty shoddily and Deshaun um, was left running for his life a lot and he, he did hold on to the ball a little long in a few situations that you know completely understandable but for the most part, I mean, against this defense, you think that the line would have performed a little bit better. Um, he had to make a few Houdini plays in the second half as well. I mean, just magical, like, escapee kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I think Deshaun did everything he could to, like, drag this offense, kicking and screaming. And luckily, Cooks had that big run um, early in the game, you know, off that yeah. screen. and. Fuller, that Fuller touchdown was fluky. I mean, it was like 10 seconds after the play clock had ended. So, you know, we can't bank on that regularly. And, uh, you know, I think I think it comes down to uh, the run game suffered. And, I mean, Duke Johnson did admirably in, in place of David Johnson. It's just 
he also fumbled and also I don't know, the Jaguars just keyed in. I mean, we we weren't getting anywhere successfully. Mm-hmm. So it ended up going to the air and Deshaun did what he had to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And like I think you did you mentioned a really great thing about you know Jackson's blitzing. Um, they blitzed starting with the first quarter with whenever the Houston's in their own red zone or their own end zone, you saw Josh Allen uh, run an ET stunt with um, with Taven Bryan, and you see Allen inside of Tyus Howard. You know, kind of force Watson outside, and they actually almost forced a safety on that play. And they kind of felt like Jackson went away from kind of their blitzing the second quarter, and in the second half they kind of brought it back, and they were really you know torrential with how many times they called blitzes. And they did some cool things like overload one side of the line of scrimmage, and only bring three from in, create pressure. Uh, Dewan Smoot actually beat uh, Larry Tensel. With a chalk rip, and it's like the worst I've seen Tensel get beat this year, which is you know absolutely you know hilarious that it's Jawan Smoot who did that. And Smoot's been really good this year. And like for those of you who are looking already for next year and looking forward to all that and the offseason free agency, Jawan Smoot's a free agent next year. He was pretty good last year. He's been really good this year. Uh, that could be like a potential like you know what like seven million dollars a year sort of player that Houston could look at um, going to next year. So if you ever find yourself watching the Jags. Um, sometime this season. If you do, you're probably mentally ill like I am. Uh, Smoot's a good guy, kind of like sit there and sit back and watch and kind of enjoy because he could be, he's going to be the type of guy that's going to get like seven or eight million dollars uh, next year in free agency, too. The other thing I thought Jacksonville did good to their blitzes is they really keyed in on Brent Cavale on the left side line of scrimmage. And then oh. also, I think Titus Howard kind of rough game, too. Like, this was the worst pass protection game we've seen, seen from him since either Kansas City or Baltimore. And Josh Allen did a really good job, like, you know, using both the combination of inside and outside moves against Howard to create pressure. And so I think combination of those, you know, five things or so uh, was why, you know, Houston had trouble um, against Jacksonville's front. And this was like one of the worst pass rushes in the league too. And again, like every single time they played this year, they really have struggled against the blitz. And this week was no different. Like, you know, if you want to keep saying you fire Mike Devlin, uh, fire Mike Devlin, fire Mike Devlin. Like this is another good example of just the team having continual problems with blitz pickup. And some of the stuff is like really elementary too, even. Right, because um, well, well, I want to talk about Mike Devlin really quickly. Yeah. Can you think of a positional coach that just has been so overtly, like, overseen such terrible, terrible performances and still retained his job? Like, I can't think of any other coach that has maintained that kind of hold over position since, I don't know, like, well, Joe Marciano, but yeah, he that's ran the only guy I can think of. I only think Marciano, and the other thing too is like I just don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, I have watched every condensed game so far this year to write the ten things article, but I haven't. Um, I don't know like each team's position coach at all. So Marciano's the only guy that comes up for me. And it's funny about Devlin too. Like I wrote like an article I think in seventeen or sixteen. That's like, is Mike Devlin really bad? And see the problem with this offensive line. It's three years later and. You know, he's still here, and it's even like further cemented that you know, he's probably one of the main problems that they've had on the offensive line. Whenever you consider like what what production they've gotten out of them this year, and all that they've invested into it this year as well, too. Right, because it's like it's like the old janitor that like can't really do his <laughs> job very well, but like you still let him hang around and collect a paycheck because he's old and his social security is dry. But then he's not he's not a janitor; he's running the offensive line, like he's coaching the offensive line. Get Get him out of here, please. Yeah, he's been there 45 years, and now he's making $150,000 because he gets his bonus every year, and it keeps going up, and you know nobody even knows what he does anymore at all. He just sits in the broom closet uh, and you know, makes out the mop, you know. 
But um, so Brent Vale came in for Sneo Calamente this game, and is like, is that the rock bottom of of Houston's offensive line this year? Now we see Brent Vale come in uh, at the midway point of the season. That was horrifying because when Kelamet went down, I already thought like, okay, that's rough. And they pulled up uh, Greg Mance from the practice squad. So I thought maybe, maybe we'd see Mance come in. But then they put Caval in and I'm like, oh my God, what is going on here? Like, uh, I know it's, he, he can do it, but yeesh, man, like. The injuries, I, I I wrote in the post game that the biggest takeaway from today's game isn't like anything really positive about either of the position groups. It's the it's the injury report. How many people went down and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Kelmet on an already finished line and, you know, all the injuries that we're already dealing with. It's uh, it's not fun. And Caval coming in is not <laughs> was not something that was applauded <laughs> by anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, the chat just kind of tore him apart. Yeah, I mean, like, even the Jets fans, too, last time they signed. Like, I've never heard of him. I've never watched him play. And they're like, Jesus Christ, don't sign him. And he's just a guy that played for Mike Devlin, you know, once before. And I, I'm saying Cavale, you're saying, you know, Caval, whatever you're saying. The announcers, right. I think, said, like, Quali. I have no idea. Quali. <laughs> I have no idea what the hell, how the hell you say that name. Like, how do you even come out? Like, how has that name even, like, been passed down generation after generation, you know? Yeah, how do they not change it? Yeah, it's an abomination. I hate it. I hate his last name, and hopefully we don't see him, you know, ever, ever again this year too. Like I'm surprised <laughs> that man's whole family. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. Um, so the first drive of the game, Miles Jack took out David Johnson's slap flat combination. I guess this was probably the second drive of the game. Um, then in came Duke Johnson, and so Duke Johnson had 16 carries for 41 yards. He averaged 2.6 yards in attempt. Did he show more as the teams like? primary ball carrier that David Johnson has this year? <sighs> so a lot of the sentiment on Twitter that you'll see is, you know, Duke Johnson is a better RB1 than David Johnson. I, well, from what I saw, I saw more burst. I definitely saw a little bit more kick in the pants. Um, and he had a couple decent, you know, decent looking runs. But for the most part, everything was stuffed. At, you know, there there was a bunch of plays that were killed at the line of scrimmage, and you know that could be more on the offensive line than anything. Um, but I honestly think we could have ran this same show with the same results without having to have gone and acquired David Johnson. Duke Johnson would have sufficed just as well. Um, there's not enough of a difference between them both to to warrant. The price that we paid for David Johnson, I mean, we all, we, we all know this already, but, um, you know, I think Duke Johnson could literally step in his shoes and we wouldn't even notice. Like, I don't know, if they decided to swap jersey numbers for a game, we probably mm-hmm. wouldn't even tell. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And, like, I mean, I thought, like, I thought Duke, looking at, like, watching his play this game, I thought the numbers were a lot better. Um, I think he just had like two, like he probably had like four tackles for a loss um, this game. And like Houston went back to running a lot more outside zone after running like more power run plays against Green Bay, and that didn't work at all because they were afraid of you know Green Bay's edge defenders and Preston Smith and Zedaria Smith. Even though Preston Smith has been you know really horrendous this year, especially against like split zone plays, which Houston ran a lot today against Jacksonville. And like they just struck, they just struggle like being flip flopped all over the place without having. Really, it's that kind of like sound understanding on what type of run scheme they should run, especially the right hand side. Like, Ty Howard's not a good outside zone blocker. Zach Fulton's not a good outside zone blocker. 
you know, Nick Martin's as average as it can be. And a lot of those runs to the right, like they really didn't get much going on. But I do think, like, even though the numbers look bad for Duke, I do think he created a lot more from what the offensive line gave him for these runs. And I think even, like, as a short yardage runner, like, he was really good. Like, that, you know, even, like, that run at the goal line where he just hit it off the edge. Like, if David Johnson makes that same run in week four against Minnesota, the Texans may win that game, you know? But now here right. we're seeing it with, with Duke Johnson as a smaller back. And so, like, I know you mentioned about the Hopkins trade. Like, would Houston have been better off this year if they traded DeAndre Hopkins for just a second-round pick and not even get David Johnson that trade at all? Ooh, that's interesting. Instead of just canceling the trade outright. Um, I mean, just off of the the salary and everything, uh, the, the numbers behind it, I would have preferred just the just the swap for the pick. I mean, that would have been more beneficial because, like I said, we would have gotten almost the same exact production out of Duke Johnson. And, I mean, that's what we got him for anyways. I mean, they didn't give him really a fair shot. And, uh, you know, I think it would have been beneficial moving forward because now at the, well, at least before the trade deadline, people were talking about, oh, finding a suitor and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. And it's like, nobody's going to take that con. Nobody's going to take him. Like they, they, nobody's that dumb. They're gonna wait. They're gonna wait till we get rid of him, till we have to cut him, and then they, you know, they'll probably either let him keep stay on the street or maybe pull him in for a practice squad spot, like Des Bryant. And it's like, man, it just would have been so much better if we just left that idea alone, or Bill O'Brien left that idea alone. I, I keep forgetting to attribute it to him. It's him. Uh, it, it would have been better to just get the pick, honestly. Yeah. I think so too. I think it also comes down to like David Johnson's been good since 16. And really the only argument I could think of, you know, going back these last seven months that, you know, I've been thinking about this trade or had to like, and then see this trade come through and then sit here and just like the disaster uh, ruin, the disastrous ruins of it after the fact is that with, I think they saw Rick Smith's scouting report of David Johnson in 2016. Like, oh, this guy's great. Arizona doesn't want him. We should sign him. And they just haven't updated the file for four years. And like, even me, like staring at my, staring at the Taco Bell sign in my backyard and looking at the numbers and watching the coaches. So I'm like, oh yeah, Arizona is, this is his, this is, this was their third worst running back last year. Like David Johnson's not a good football player anymore. And, uh, and not only that though, like they try to make him this like de facto number one back and try to turn him into Carlos Hahn, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I do think if they just got the pick for DeAndre Hopkins instead of including David Johnson there, they would have better offense this year because now you get Duke Johnson in that role, and uh, and he's a better back than Johnson is, and as a runner, as a pass catcher, as a pass blocker, and then also maybe in that role too, Houston stops like trying to just establish the run thing because they imagine you know whenever you run the ball, your established run meter goes up, and then once it hits a certain mark, then you can run a play action pass or it unlocks a special move, you know, like it's a, right. a moral combat fatality, and uh, and so just because of that, like the the opportunity cost involved with that portion of it uh, by trying to build an offense around David Johnson instead of Deshaun Watson to help like try to justify the trade in that same way. I think for sure 100% Houston's offense have been better off. And Houston maybe have won one game in the first four weeks instead of zero if they didn't try to build an offense around David Johnson instead of Deshaun Watson for the first month of the season. Right. Um, I still I can't every t- I still can't believe it, but yeah, Miles Jack though had did you like his game today? Like how impressed were you by seeing him out there flying around the ball? Because their first matchup earlier this year there was no Miles Jack, it was Dakota Allen, and uh, and Houston was able to take advantage of him a few times that game. Oh man, Miles Jack had himself a 
hell of a game today. I mean, he was playing like his hair was on fire. Uh, he was just standing out, and you know, even the commentators acknowledged it. You know, everybody kind of points to Josh Allen, and you know, Miles Jack really came out and made a lot of bang plays. Uh, I think, uh, I think when it comes to that defense, they, they just put on the pressure. They they lathered it on today, and it opened up a lot of opportunities for Miles Jack to to make plays, and uh, they put bodies in place to where you know he could get one on ones and. Uh, had some really solid tackles, didn't get let much get past him. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's just the defense as a whole. But Miles Jack was really the standout on the Jaguars side today. Yeah, and he really has, he's like morphed into the anchor of that front seven. And it's funny because Jackson, the last offseason, gave Joe Schobert, you know, $10 million a year. And whenever they first him, like, this is one of the worst contracts this year. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. And it still doesn't, but the way it worked out for him, the way that they envisioned it, I was like, well, if we'd sign Joe Schobert, we can play. We think we can play two linebacker sets and play nickel or play Buffalo nickel and pull a safety in the box and play a 4 3 like that. And also, if we play a 4 3, um, we can put Miles Jack at, you know, Will linebacker instead of having him play Mike, instead of like matching him with Austin Calitro and, uh, and Quincy Williams and those guys. And so, just by getting Miles Jack in more of a natural position where he can just like run around in space and make tackles, and like he's such a great nickel linebacker. Um, that was really what the trade was made, like the tr- or that that signing was made for. They didn't spend ten million dollars to sign Joe Schobert. They spent ten million dollars to sign Joe Schobert and move Miles Jack to his more natural position. And as a result, like he's been absolutely just awesome. Like from week one this year, he's been bonkers. Just his ability to, you know, defend the run even in lighter boxes. Um, cover like his cut co- like he covered Duke Johnson today on an angle route. And I've never seen somebody cover Duke Johnson that well in that route. He, you know, he smashed David Johnson, knocked him out of the game. He forced that fumble on Duke Johnson, that short yard situation. And he just was really impactful. Was, you know, he's by far the, the best player on the Jaguars defense right now. Oh, yeah. So, so with Houston's offense, they had two big plays this game. They had the screen pass that you mentioned. And that was a cool play design from Tim Kelly to get Farrell Brown and Darren Fellows out there um, to spring Brand Cooks. But it was more of a failure on Jacksonville secondary to defend that bunch formation where you see both the safety and Sidney Johnson go under the blocks and you have to go over the top, but you have to try to get uh, cooks back towards, you know, your defense where you actually have some defenders over there. And so they come under and you have brand cooks on the sideline. There's nobody around. The second play was what we alluded to earlier and talked about was the Will Fuller fade route against CJ Henderson. And I don't know if Henderson thought like the play clock was zero and, and kind of got lost, but he lost the ball in the air completely. And it leads to a 77 yard touchdown. And that was the majority of Houston's offense this game. And so, like, I, I do feel like watching this game and watching last week as well, too, that it does seem like as great as Watson's been, the offense seems like it's got kind of stuck uh, with Tim Kelly as the offensive coordinator, that he did a good job, like, knowing what Bill O'Brien was doing wrong previously and kind of getting it out and, like, using more shotgun sets, using more spread and empty sh- sets to, like, let Watson kind of pick and pop his matchups, running play action from 11 personnel in single back formations, um, running, you know, like, just trying to stick to one run play at the outside zone. But it seems like you know after after you know three weeks now or I guess four weeks now of Tim Kelly, it does really feel like the offense is kind of stuck again, and he hasn't found anything else you know to break free of this offense. Uh, do you agree with that statement, or do you think Kelly you know has just been fine? It was just kind of some you know bad luck with the blitz pickup issues this game. Um, you know I think I think today it was really a lot of issues with the offensive line in terms of uh, the plays that Tim Kelly wanted to run. So the Jaguars 
like I said, lathered on the pressure. And you could see that there was a lot of long developing routes that Deshaun either had to result to like a short check down for Randall Cobb or, you know, whoever Duke Johnson sneaking out. Um, I think they wanted to take deep shots, but I, the line just wasn't holding. And so we did see a lot of short, uh, short passes, like for example, on the, on the cooks touchdown, you know, it's just kind of a squeaker out there and he managed to take it. What the next 40 some yards on his own. Uh-huh. Uh, I just think, you know, it, it, it is a little stuck, but I think that's less on Tim Kelly. Actually. I, like I really am pretty disappointed with the offensive line today and how they performed. And, you know, if you have a line that can't block, it's really hard to, to take deep shots. Cause you know, your quarterback's panicking and we, we have a mobile quarterback that can get out in space and try to, you know, extend plays, but there's only so much they can do. And, you know, a receiver may or may not come back and try to, you know, adjust the route. And, uh, I think, I think Kelly's trying, but, we did see I did see a couple plays where it was single back and where, you know, they were lined up in. in like the eye and it was a little confusing, like, why are you going to throw Deshaun back under center uh, under center when we had something going? But, you know, I just think I think the line play really affected things today more than anything. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I guess like just for me, like watching the film every week and watching the offense, um, it's just been the same thing. Like no matter who the opponent is, they've kind of like have settled into you like a certain scope of plays, you know, and I've kind of, and just have kind of like kept doing the same thing these four weeks and you know, like it, it worked out well next week against Cleveland. You know, that's a team that has a, a really good defensive line, a really good front four pressure. Um, their safety play is starting a little bit better. They don't have any linebackers though. And so hopefully Houston and Tim Kelly kind of, they run more play action. They run more kind of spread stuff in the slot. Um, get guys other than Randall Cobb in the slot as well to try to take, attack their linebackers and, in that way, if they do that, they may have. That's like a really good way to attack Cleveland, and um, and so hopefully they can do that somewhat you know, next week. But I do think Kelly's just been kind of stuck, and it really was you know the blitz pickup stuff. You can kind of keep blaming Devlin on it because it's the easy thing to do. But to give up the pass versus they did against Jacksonville um, is is really kind of dispiriting. And so I do think it's a combination between the two. I agree with you that I think it's more about the blitz stuff um, than necessarily the play calling. But the play calling has been definitely stuck since Kelly's taken over and these last two weeks are good indicators of that as well too. Now the, the one thing, like I know you mentioned the vertical passing game. I do think Watson actually put the ball over 20 yards more than he really kind of has previously. It does feel like Houston is kind of sad in that like zero to 15 yard range. I know that he was able to find Brand cooks, you know, deep in their first matchup against Jacksonville, but it seems like the two games after that, they kind of went away from that um, in some sense. So this game, Watson on throws over 20 yards, he was one for four. For 77 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown, of course, was the Will Fuller. Um, do you think this was like? Did you do you think they were actually more aggressive at all? And and I do like personally. I think this is kind of things been missing with this offense all year. It's just their ability to hit some deep shots down the sidelines. And a good example of that today was, of course, that fades at Brandon Cooks, where Cooks has it. He has him. He has the guy beat, and the ball hangs up in the air, and he can't catch. He can't win at the catch point, and that ball falls incomplete. And like. If you want another good example, like a, cat, a catch that DeAndre Hopkins makes, like that's a really good example of it as well, too. And so I do think like this idea of how vertical this offense could have been, I think I'm starting to feel like more now like Brand Cooks isn't the player he used to be, and it's more of a talent issue than um, than just like a play calling issue in some sense of it right now, too. So I guess me, I guess the question now, Carlos, instead is, do you think this is a, a case where like, the talent's limiting their vertical passing game? Or is it just a, 
you know, they're not calling enough deep shots for Deshaun Watson this year. I think they've called deep shots. I think it really is a talent issue at the position group now. Brandon Cooks, for me at least, it seems like he has a really hard time separating. Like mm-hmm. that speed isn't there that, you know, everybody talked about before. It seems that he's lost his step and he's not, you know, gaining anything on uh, in his matchups. And so really the only legitimate threat down the sideline is Will Fuller. And it's easy to key in on that. Uh, Randall Cobb, you know, there has been some intermediate routes and, you know, stuff that they've run out in that range um, that has been successful. But for the most part, I think when it comes to going deep, it really is unfortunate to not have that possession receiver, that threat to, you know, yeah, maybe he's not going to burn you, but he'll go up and over you on, uh, near the sideline. Um, now we had prior and putting cooks in that spot, you know, it, it the, the one job he has is to outrun the guy in front of him. And if you can't do that, what's the point? Um, so I think at this point it is a talent issue. And we, we really have to retool the, the entire squad or at least see what we've got. Isaiah Coulter, unfortunately was inactive today. Uh, so, you know, we didn't get to see any of him and Kiki for whatever reason is still not getting any playing time. I, I can't understand that. So we're, yeah. We don't really have that much behind us to look at in terms of, you know, guys that we haven't already seen before, except for Coulter. Yeah. So I think it's going to take a lot of um, a lot of searching outside of the organization to find guys that can come in and tool uh, or retool this position group. But with Easterby at the helm and no GM, uh, I wouldn't trust anybody right now with, you know, Mm -hmm looking at a newspaper more than anything <laughs> yeah i mean like it is weird because you know qd was was active today he had i didn't see him on the field at all once kenny stills was active today he didn't have a target at all and like it's surprising like you know if you're not going to use these guys and like stills especially because he's a free agent next year like I'm, I'm surprised they couldn't at least like got maybe like a seventh round pick for him you know like why keep this guy on the roster and let him go next year and not be able to get anything out of him at all um i think stills has also just had like a really kind of down year you know, in general, I think he's had some problems, um, like connecting with Watson, especially like on plays after the catch, and he was supposed to step up and like to more of like a you know, like a number four role, and he really just hasn't done very much at all this year too. But yeah, I think with Cooks, like I think it is, uh, like I know for week one we talked about it, that calf injury that he had, and it did seem like he struggled to separate that game. Um, I'm blanking on that rookie cornerback who he failed to beat in that in that week one matchup. But it's like he just couldn't—he couldn't create any separation. Like a guy who is five foot ten and has to win by speed alone. Like without that separation, that ability to just outrun guys, like it takes away the rest of his game. And Jackson will play, you know, like cover three today, like they usually do. C.J. Anderson had a really great route where he squeezed into the sideline, and then he also had that other you know, pass attempt to him where he failed to go up there and get the catch point. But I just think in general, like teams are pressing him more. He's running a lot more drag routes and, and crossing routes and stuff, and. It's not worth a guy's paid, you know, eleven million dollars a year or whatever. And I don't, I really don't see there's a way he's gonna be on the on the roster next year as well either. And so this brings us to a question from at Confused Lefty. And Carlos, he asked, Do you think Fuller will be getting a new contract or tag after his performance so far this season? For me, he's moving on from the Robin role to a new dark knight. He's not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need this season. Can we afford to keep him? That's a tough one, because after after the press conference today. Um, you know, Rivers put out that clip where Will kind of 
you know, talked about the whole process of being shopped around and how it at the end of the day, it's a business. And I think players understand that. But I think it's still going to stick with him once he hits the if he hits the market um, of this whole situation that it was openly known that he was being shopped around and for what value. And, you know, he made it clear that he didn't really feel that great about it and everything that he likes about the city, the town, you know, blah, 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 typical player speak. But, you know, I think it's one thing to say that he's the best offensive weapon that we have right now, which is, I believe, true outside of Deshaun Watson. I don't think there's another player on the on the field that can impact the game like Will Fuller can for us right now. Um, mm-hmm. So it would definitely be worth paying him. However, it's just if we're going to rebuild and we're going to need to tear the team apart and cut a lot of fat and, you know, all this stuff. Uh, is Will Fuller that, that piece to build around? I think, I think this year he's, he's made a strong argument. It's just for me, the injury history is still kind of lingering around. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really been an issue, but it, it's there. And um, for right now, it, it kind of sucks because everybody can key in on him. And it kind of stifles whatever production he can have because there's nobody else to worry about on the field. So mm-hmm. I think he's worth keeping around. But whether he feels the same way come free agency, you know, that'll be up to him. Yeah, I think with I mean, I think David Johnson's gone next year for sure. I think Brand Cook should be gone. And the only way Brand Cook stays is all is if Jack Easterby is still here making any sort of decisions at all whatsoever. And hopefully he's not. Like Hopefully he gets to just like, you know, they pay him $10 million and he gets to pick, you know, what type of flavors they have for the popcorn seasoning. And uh, he doesn't make any more decisions regarding you know, football moves at all whatsoever. And so that frees up me like $22 million or so in cap space. And so I think the thing about Fuller is they can franchise tag him. And really the hard thing about it, though, it's like I, don't, I think Fuller is like an incredible number two. Like we've been calling him Nightwing on the podcast all year. I am upset that Packers were cowards and they give a second-round pick for him. Um, I think that would have really been very valuable for you know their offense in the postseason this year. Um, but like with Fuller, it's like, so do you want to pay a guy, you know, thirteen million dollars and have salary cap restraints, and then be in a spot where if he gets injured and he's your best wide receiver and he's kind of what you're built around that manner? Like it's such an important amount of money and it's such an important you know position um, for Houston next year. So I think this is a hard thing though. It's like even though the injuries haven't derailed him this year and he's been fairly healthy, it's just like it's such an important spot. And with the salary cap stuff re- with regarding you know this team in general. That's the hard thing about Fuller. So I don't think that you would resign to a long-term extension. I think you would tag him and see how it goes from there. But even tagging him, though, is a hard thing to do just because of they don't have any other receivers really at all. You know, They really are stuck in the position. They're going to have to retool this entire skill uh, position group next year, and it's no longer a strength of this team at all anymore. Right, because I was going to say, with the tag, he's going to be, you know, more expensive than what he's really worth. I, I think you made a really great point that he is a solid number two. It's just as the star of the show, it's really difficult, especially right now that he doesn't even have a number two behind him really. So it's just him. Um, but I do think, you know, this is one of the situations where my God, if we had a first round pick, it, the, the outlook could be much more um, positive, you know, in so many regards, but especially when it comes to this, position group it would have come in handy uh-huh. you know? or even a even a second round but you know we, we couldn't get it uh i think what the rumor was that it was a fourth round pick for 
that was being offered or like a mid round somewhere in that realm that Will Fuller is worth more than that. Mm-hmm. I think he hit it on the head that a second would have been awesome. Like definitely pulled the trigger on that. But, uh, you know, I think we're in this weird pickle of like pay him long term and tie him to us. And let's say it doesn't pan out. It's a big, big if. But then also if we tag him, it's going to be outrageously expensive and we still run that same risk. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't know what the I don't know what the franchise tag would be for a wide receiver. I would guess it probably something like fifteen million or so. You know, and you think if you assume a long term extension, um, you would do like you know four years sixty. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea what's going to work look like at all next year. The salary cap because it's all tied to how much money the league makes and in, Ooh, a, in a COVID 16 year. Million. Yeah, yeah, sixteen million this year. Yeah, and so like in a COVID year, who knows what the salary cap is going to be next year too. Um, and how and how that that franchise tag figure may may change, but I mean I mean I think if you're gonna keep him, I think you'd want to tag him just because of the injury stuff and see if he can improve. But I don't think he's number one receiver even when he's healthy. I know a lot of people do. I just don't fully see it. Um, I don't think he commands enough attention. I think he gets a lot of one versus one matchups and uh, and he doesn't like get guys open like Hopkinson and stuff. And I think there's only like eight guys who actually truly carry a passing attack. And Fuller can be really great some games. He can. You know, be really you know completely explosive and dynamic some games, but uh, like him like carrying the chains and moving things is a little bit different. And I know Aaron, this game like him and Brand Cooks were tied with twenty two first downs, which is like twenty six in the NFL. You know, like it's not like he's a guy who's carrying this offense and consistently uh, creating first downs like somebody like you know DeAndre Hopkins does and Travis Kelsey does um, and Michael Thomas does when he's healthy. And so I'm not I'm not fully buying that. And so I don't know it's a, it's a weird spot to be in, but I would be leaning towards. Tagging him next year if the market doesn't look like you can get something at all to come back out there and kind of help them. Because, again, like you can't pay Cooks. You can't pay Cobb. I mean, not you can't pay Cobb. You can't pay Cooks. You can't pay uh, David Johnson at all. And then you're stuck with, like, you know, Fuller and Cobb and, you know, three tight ends. And you, know, you have to find two more wide receivers from there because you don't play Cutie and, you know, Isaiah Coulter hasn't anything uh, yet this year either. So let's move on to the defense. And let's start with the bad. Uh, the bad stuff about Anthony Weaver. It's like throughout this year, you know, with Weaver, he's I think he did a lot did really well like the first month of the year, kind of getting the most out of talent he's had. And he did some like things, you know, like lab JJ Watt over the center. Um, play Eric Murray from everything from like, you know, deep playing him at deep middle, then even using him at slot cornerback. He never had like a true number two cornerback at all, Gary Connolly's injury. And he's just done like a lot of things that have kind of like gone to the point too far. And uh, and this week he kind of did it again. So DJ Chark on the first, I guess the first drive of the Jaguars offense today on third and eight, he ran cover three on third and eight. And you don't run cover three on third and eight. Cover three is great on like first and second down because you get eight guys in the box. You can stop the run while not having to worry about getting you know, beat deep at all. You don't run cover three on third and eight when they're going to throw the ball. And so you have Vernon Hargreaves taking you know zone turn against DJ Chark. It was the worst zone turn I've ever seen. Like I have no idea what Hargreaves is doing there. And then you have Lonnie Johnson Jr. deep middle. So Hargreaves gets beat, has no idea what he's doing. And um, Johnson Jr., you know, he plays the blinders on. He's only looking directly in front of him and at his feet. He doesn't see the ball going that way. And then by the time he's chasing, he takes a really narrow, he takes a really acute pursuit angle, we can call it. Um, and he ends up chasing. He can't tackle him and, you know, isn't able to prevent the touchdown there at that point. And that was absurd. Uh, he used Eric Murray as a force defender. In the five-two front, he got pulled and kicked out for like a four-yard gain. That was really dumb. He had Tyrell Adams, you know, carrying the middle of the field a lot and man match coverage responsibilities, which doesn't make any sense at all. He's still using Lonnie Johnson Jr. as a deep middle defender. They ran a lot of ET stunts that didn't work very well. 
And also in the last drive of the game that Jacksonville had, they play a lot of cover two, like I mean not cover two, they play a lot of two high safety shells. And you know, I don't I don't understand that. And it's the same thing against Tennessee. You kind of see that a lot of times this year in the league where teams will play two safeties deep, you know, in these in these big like in these game winning drive chances. And teams will just like it'll play quarters a lot of time from that. And teams will just hit in the flat over and over again, hit towards the sideline over and over again, and like casually move the ball up the field and all of a sudden they're at the 15 yard line. And the defense is like, oh, okay, we're already here right now. And uh, and they've given up, you know, some chances because of that. And that's exactly what happened to Jacksonville on that drive where they were able to kind of spread them out, pick and pop against two safety high shells against you know two really bad outside cornerbacks and made it easy. And then Jake Luton, you know, pulled uh, pulled the mattress out of the couch and was able to uh, you know, stiff arm Jonathan Greenard and and uh, the deep third cornerback wasn't able to come down and tackle him at the goal line. And you know, they're a two point conversion away from tying the game at that point too. So that was all the bad, absurd stuff I saw from Anthony Weaver this game. Um, but you personally, Carlos, I know we haven't spoken in probably about three or four weeks or so on the podcast. Are you pro Anthony Weaver? Or are you anti Anthony Weaver at this point in the season? Oh man. Uh, so with Anthony Weaver, like I guess it was it was the whole first date thing or like the honeymoon phase where it's this new relationship and everything's exciting and new and maybe we'll see some like tangible differences and uh, I think he's playing with you know, half a deck, the, the talent at the uh, on the defensive side of the ball is just so drained and withered and wilted that it would be hard to accomplish anything that he's trying to do, you know, with, with this squad. Um, I just think, like you said, Tyrell Adams, you know, handling man response, like you can't, the, the, man, the man can't cover, like just flat out. Why, why would you try? Um you know, some of the things they had going on, like they can't decide whether or not Lonnie Johnson is going to be a corner or a safety and he can't really do either. Um, and all of these things, like there, there's so many things wrong with the personnel, I think, on the defensive side of the ball that, you know, a lot a lot of what he's doing is not working. Um, something because I, I, I'm going to chunk it up more to the guys that he's working with. Um, I mean, yeah, definitely some of the decision making is is a little sus, like you said, you know, playing, playing too high till, you know, the end. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh boy, they're, they're in, they're in the red zone. And then Ludon does his thing. Um, you know, I think there should be some more awareness there, but I might chunk it up to him being pretty fresh and still learning on the job. But you know, that, that just being a little too optimistic, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm kind of past that point with him. I think it's, it's those things like I know the talent's bad. That's the main issue, and that was the problem that Romeo Cornell had last year. And everybody, you know, really, were, were a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people really didn't like Romeo Cornell last year. They thought he did a poor job, and they just didn't have talent. And so, one of the things he did well though is at least stop the deep middle ball uh, with one safety deep and play a lot of quarters. And they were able to at least bend you know, as far as possible. Whereas this year, like Anthony Weaver's defense has been broken for a while now, and uh, and again, it's just like even though the talent's an issue, there's just so many absurd like decisions being made here and just things that don't make any sense and that really hurt the team and you know this game came down to a two-point conversion and if you want to pick two play like two things to kind of uh, define that define today's game was the cover three call on third and seven and then uh, on third and eight I mean and also the decisions to make the coverage calls he did on the last drive of the game like that's why this game came down to a two-point conversion and so like I know hopefully I like I like Weaver like hearing him talk and all that 
I think he's a bright guy. I think he's just like, you know, having to understand some things in that portion of it. But he seems like he's too exotic for the sake of being exotic, which is kind of the problem that Rick Ryan had, you know, a lot of times. And, you know, he destroyed the Bills defense single-handedly with kind of like his high blitzing stuff, despite what the what the shell they had available to him. His last stint, you know, being the defense coordinator in Buffalo or being the head coach in Buffalo there. And so like, that being said, like, I hope he finds someplace else. But I think it's become like really obvious that he won't be around for whatever this next version of the Texans team is, though. Um, so the good things about this game there for the defense, Justin Reed played box safety on that fourth and one stop. And like he did what they used Eric Murray to do. And Justin Reed was like an all-star at it. He's able to bend all the way around the run and grab uh, James Robinson by the leg and stop him short, which was a really big play of that game. Zach Cunningham actually played like Zach Cunningham today. He had that big sack as a free rusher. He tackled really well. Actually made some plays in space, you know, doing things that he's been struggling to do all year. And they dropped four interceptions today. That was good. They caught one of them. Uh, so they were one in five on interception attempts. So at least like they were in the spot to be in those locations. So like that was pretty good and kind of fun as well too. Uh, do you, can you say anything else that was good about the defense today, Carlos? Uh, JJ had himself a nice little bang play with that uh, with that strip sack. It didn't really end up doing much. You got number 100. It's all nice and good. Yay, you know, legacy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, uh, it was just a, a tough performance on all sides, but uh, I'll give, I actually, I want to give a lot of props to um, the rookies today. And I know that's our next point, but yeah, uh, I, I am pretty, pretty happy with them overall, or at least what, what they did today. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about the rookies and the, and the kids, and then we'll talk about JJ. And then uh, we have some listener questions tonight. And then, uh, and then we'll clock out of the factory. You know, we'll we have to be back Brian early again tomorrow. So, uh, so the kids. So this this whole year right now, from a win loss ramification point of view, like it's been over for you know since the Minnesota loss. And I know what Kyle said earlier this week. You know, the really tough thing about being one six is that you know you have to go on the road if you make the playoffs. And he's absolutely out of his mind. Like I understand he's an optimist or whatever, but he's an insane person <laughs> thinking like that. And uh, even the person with like an alien inside their stomach, you know, they have a better rational understanding of what the Texans performances and what a uh, rational outlook is for the team for the rest of the year. And like this entire year is ba- is built around getting the most out of the kids and, and seeing what they can do and give them some live fire reps for their own development. And like a really good example I can think of, you know, I wrote about it last Friday for the group thing, but you know, the dolphins last year were, you know, I think they were five and 11 because of Ryan Fitzpatrick or four and 12 and, uh, you know, their numbers are all screwed up because of what Josh Rosen did and was, like, the worst quarterback in the league by far for his first three starts of the year. But they played the kids, and they played a bunch of, like, their really bad young players. They had awful defense because of it. But they found out some things about their team by doing so. And uh, one of the things they found out was, like, they found Nick Needham, and he played cornerback two for him last year. Was, like, he wasn't great, but, like, he was fine. He was able to hold his own. And now in Miami, he's a big focal part. And now he's, like, a focal point of, their cornerbacker, but like, he's a big part of the rotation. You know, like, he'll play in three, he'll play in nickel, he'll play in dime, and uh, he's out there with Brian Jones and and Xavier Howard. And like they wouldn't have found him at all as an undrafted free agent last year unless they actually played the kids instead of you know sitting out there and just kind of consistently giving reps to you know bad older veteran players. And so like that's the spot Houston's in now. Like, they need to find guys like Nick Needham that Miami found last year. Like, that's what this season's all about. Um, from this point on, like, and I think also I like, gained Deshaun Watson and and as many empty and spread looks as possible this year too. And that way, whenever the new offensive, new, whenever the new head coach offensive coordinator comes in next year, they he at least has more of that training 
operate on the spread sets. But so the kids, I'm going to go through five players or four players real fast, and then we'll. I kind of want to hear what your thoughts and what you saw from each one. And I'll give mine as well too. So I have Ross Blacklock, Jonathan Greenard, or if it's Grenard, I don't know. I like calling him Greenard because he has Green in his name. Uh, John Reed and Lonnie Johnson Jr. So what did you see from Ross Blacklock today? So Ross Blacklock, he actually got a decent amount of snaps. And, uh, you know, I think he did an admirable job. Uh, wasn't anything spectacular. Uh, I wouldn't say admirable, serviceable. Uh, he got some he got some pressure, some penetration on a couple of plays. There were a couple of plays where he just got absolutely manhandled and and turned around. Um, I remember seeing one play he did a whole 360 just being, you know, roped around and, uh, you know, he hasn't seen the field much, but I was glad to see him out there even. Um, he, I believe he had a few tackles, but outside of that, you know, just nothing too flashy. Um, but that's what I got out of Blacklock. I'm just happy that he's out there. Yeah, I'm, it's pretty much like a participant or participation trophy for me for Blacklock. You know, it's like uh, he was out there and that was what mattered, I guess. But I didn't see anything at all from him. You know, like he was he was out there. He was running around. He's on the backside law run play. So I think they were having him like play, you know, as a weak side defensive tackle, which I, I don't know. Uh, I won't know for sure until I watched the all 22, but I saw his, pa- I watched his pass rush reps whenever I saw him out there. And like, he just is running directly into the guard and just trying to use his hands, you know, and like the hand fighting and stuff is, you know, important, but you can't base entire pass rush around your hands as an interior defender, unless you're Aaron Donald and you're just a God at it, you know? And, uh, and like, like he was locked down by Andrew Norwell. He was knocked down by Linder and Can. Like just really nothing at all as an interior rusher. And like the biggest thing for him too, like with all the hand fighting, is that the whole point. You know, I wrote about last year a lot too, and I probably like seven times before last year as well. Is that with you know the pass rushers that the Texans have, whenever Merciless is healthy, and with the idea of Jacob Martin too on the edge, is that by bull rushing and cr- and cratering the pocket, you get the quarterback moving backwards, and now allows Whitney Merciless's you know, big looping pass rushes to have an impact in system that you can easily step up from. It gives the same opportunities for Watt. It gives the same opportunities for Martin. You kind of feed them, feed those guys over to your edge defenders like an alley-oop sort of situation. And with Blacklock today, it's just like a lot of patty cake playing, you know? Not a lot of like legitimate rushes, not a lot of moves at all. And uh, I was disappointed from him in that regard. But like, you know, I'm happy he was out there. It's good that he played a lot of snaps and that's the important thing. But uh, he really hasn't shown anything at all. And I think... Houston's done a poor job defensively getting the most out of the skill set he showed during his time at TCU with his, his leverage, his ability to use stunts, his ability to like kind of work in space and use his hands and long arms to create pressure. And he hasn't shown any of those things as a Houston Texan so far. Right. Um, so that, that's pretty much my thoughts on Blacklock. Um, well, so and then what's next, Greenard? Yeah, what's your thoughts on Greenard? Okay, there we go. Um, sorry, cut out there for a minute. Uh, so Greenard, uh, there was a couple plays where actually it was surprising. Uh, I think he had a tackle or two in the backfield. Um, I mean, the, the, the big thing that kind of sticks out to me is when he got stiff armed by loot on, on the, on the, you know, big play at the end there. But for the most part, he actually had some, some decent, uh, some decent plays. I believe he provided some pressure on a, on a few passing downs too, as well. Um, I mean, it's, it's fresh, it's new, uh, Brennan Scarlett going down really opened up the, uh, the valve for him to get a lot more playing time this game. And, 
you know, he was out there, but for the, uh, there, there was only a handful of plays I could really remember him making a mark. Yeah. I saw him play outside linebacker as a four, three outside linebacker. And like, he tackled well, you know, that's probably not, nice. that's the only good thing I said about uh, green art days. He tackled well, he played defensive end as well too. Uh, I saw him like maintain his gap on an outside zone play. That was good. As a pass rusher, though, he really was showing he was really hanging out with him merciless way too much this summer and uh, and so far this year. And, like I know, like you like you mentioned like him providing pressure, and you know it's one of those things where like whenever you're watching the game live and you just kind of like see a guy in the backfield, like oh oh cool, like, he did something that play. But it's that merciless thing where like he's going so far wide around the offensive tackle, and it's just really mm-hmm. easy to just kind of spread him back past it, and the quarterback has like plenty of space to step up, and the rush doesn't have any impact at all. And that's why it's so important to bend the edge as an edge rusher. And it's so like, I, he popped, and I was like, wait, let me see what that was. I'm rewind real fast. And, and I was like, oh, okay, he's just doing the Whitney Merciless thing, and none of this matters at all. <laughs> so, I don't know, like, I'm, good. I'm glad he was out there. I'm glad he at least, like, tackled well, because Houston's really kind of lacked that this year, even, you know, including Brent Scarlett. Uh, and, like, him being able to, like, put his hand down the ground and, and you know, maintain his gap on a run play, that was cute. But, yeah, like, a lot of his pass rushing, I'm like, yeah, I'm just, this is Whitney Merciless, but just younger and maybe a little bit more athletic at the moment just because of his age. So what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on John Reed today? Actually, I, I really, he, he was my guy to watch coming into this game and I just didn't catch too much of him to be honest. Uh, I know he came in uh, a couple times, which uh, eventually I think I started seeing more of Keon Cross and, and then Michael Thomas came in and uh-huh. started kind of eyeballing that more. Um, so I kind of lost track of John Reed. And, you know, I don't know if he had a breakup or anything this game. I don't think I don't think so. Um, maybe a tackle or two. But actually, I think I might remember. Did, did they send him on a uh, on a blitz sometime in like the the middle of the game where they just kind of stacked the box and sent him in? I didn't see I didn't see that. I just saw him kind of run around the first quarter. And like, oh, who, I was like, wait, who the hell is number 34? And uh, mm-hmm. I haven't seen that number at all this year. And then pull up the Ross. I'm like, oh, I'm glad John Reed's out there. And I think for me, it's kind of like uh, the greener thing and the Blackhawk thing. It's just like, yeah, I'm glad he's out there. Except like I was able to see a little bit more from Greener and Blacklock just from the like the way the camera works during the live broadcast and all that. Uh, but he was out right. there. He ran around. I don't know. I didn't see him really do anything at all. I was kind of hoping that you were going to be able to fill in the blanks for me, you know? Yeah, I just kind of got pulled with, I mean, with everybody else coming into the game, it was like, ooh, this guy, and, you know, nobody really surprised, and Reed didn't do enough to really pop out either, so yeah, it's he's all, there. It's all good. He's out there. And again, like, that's the point, main point of this exercise is that the kids are out there. They're playing, like, offensively. You know, mentioned Watson. It's like, you know, get cutie out there. God, whenever Kahali Warren finally gets activated, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to – I'm the only person <laughs> in the world that I know that cares about this, so I can't celebrate with anybody. But I'll celebrate right. for myself somehow. You know, maybe I'll <laughs> maybe I'll go get myself a nice beet juice, you know, and uh, whenever they actually play Kahali Warring, or I'll buy a new can of Axe body spray and and you'll wear it that day that you know, he's probably out there or whatever. Um, so the last yeah. guy on this list is Lion Johnson Jr. What were your thoughts on him today? You tried to pick a fight with Cam Robinson. Oh, is that That's what happened? Much it. Yeah, he tried to pick a fight with Cam Robinson, and that's the only pause. I mean, I you know, actually, he made one solid wrap-up tackle, if I remember correctly, and then outside of that, he tried to pick a fight with Cam Robinson. I See, I didn't see that watching the game live, but I, you alluded to this earlier as well, too. Like, the Texans have no idea at all what they're doing with Lonnie Johnson Jr., 
And uh, it's been, it's an article I've been wanting to write for like three weeks now, but I've been a coward and haven't been able to write it yet. Uh, and maybe I will, who knows. But with him, like he just stands deep middle. And like, you know, having a deep middle defender is important. You know, it's good. You need to have like a fullback playing back there who can in, you know, any sort of like potential touchdown can go from the deep middle to the sideline. That was made Andre Howell, you know, so good. Houston's a free safety. And like Johnson Jr. back there, like Houston's playing 10 versus 11. Like he provides no benefits to the defense. He doesn't add anything to it all by doing that. And again, like Houston's pretty much playing one man down every single time that they use him out there. And again, today he was playing, you know, deep middle. I saw him get kind of close to the box and they kind of put him out to play some man coverage against bunch formations later on in the game too. But he didn't really have much of an impact there at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, they just really have no clue at all what to do with them. And like you mentioned earlier, like he can't play cornerback. He can't tackle. Um, he doesn't have any feel for the game as a free safety. He plays the blinders on, kind of stares at his feet, doesn't impact plays at all from there. And like all he is is he's just a body, you know? And they had it. And the Texans, like as a team, had like trained and mold him into something. And it kind of goes back to what Rivers said last episode where you know, he said, well, it's not even necessarily the fact that the Texans aren't a young team, like they are a young team, they have young talent. But the problem is that they just don't develop their young talent well. And Lion Johnson Jr. is a really good example of it. You know, Tyus Howard's been better this year, but he still really struggles in run blocking. They haven't somehow do that yet. Uh, Max Sharping has had you know a completely a redshirt year, hasn't done anything at all. We haven't seen anything from this rookie class at all. You know the entire 2014 draft class isn't on this team anymore, despite having like a number one overall pick. Uh, like Justin Reed's like the only like kind of draft pick that they have that's really kind of hung around. And like I know like as far as like a mid round selection, and they still have Nick Martin, Will Fuller um, on this team too, and like Watson of course, but like they just haven't been able to actually develop like any any of their young talent at all whatsoever. And like that's kind of one of the big problems that they have right now. Entering, you know, Deshaun Watson and Retunsel are paid $45 million, and now they're paid $65 million a year. And you have to have that cost-effective talent to build around them. And the Texans don't really have that at all at the moment. And so, like, again, like, just get – I like the worst part about the Johnson Jr. thing for me, too, is that they're playing a lot of cover three. And they're playing cover four. And it's like, just have them play – defend the deep third vertical. It's like, Lonnie, just do this one. Just turn around. You'll be better than Vernon Hargreaves at this. Just do this one thing. We can just let's at least try this. And like, he can't be worse than Hargreaves. He can't be worse than Philip right. Gaines. And he's still just standing there deep middle. And they have no idea what they're doing at all, you know. And it sucks. And I hate it. And it's stupid. <laughs> I just have to say really quickly when you said that Lonnie Johnson kind of sits there and like stares at his feet, it made me think of. Um, like in little league, like you have the kid that's like not really good at anything. Yeah, yeah. They can't, they can't field infield or really do anything outfield. So they stick him in right field. He's just kind of sitting there playing with like the grass and pulling stuff up. And to me, that's kind of what Lonnie Johnson is slowly becoming. Yeah, that's exactly. And we, I think last week I called him a right field safety. Um, <laughs> and my good friend Taylor, we were talking about because the question came up in like the week six preview. He's like, oh, so he plays right field. And so we've been stuck stuck to that. And uh, next week, whenever you're able to watch the game live, we bring that up in the Discord so we can get you know, right fielder, Lion Johnson Jr. going on. <laughs> okay. We got to make that happen. Because um, this is all we have to live for until the Texans get a head coach and stuff. And uh, Or for people who are not like me, who don't love Josh Allen as much as I do and Justin Herbert. Um, so what this game, he was matched with Jawan Taylor again. And I think we're at the point where Juwan Taylor is a better player than J.J. Watt is, you know, as far as like this matchup goes. Um, Watt, this game, had two good rushes. The first one was 
a bull rush where he got the outside half of him, was able to you know kind of crater him back into the quarterback. And he outran the quarterback when Luton went to escape. And Taylor kind of pushed him to the side, tried to sell the holding call and didn't get it. The second one was the strip sack. And he used a ghost rip move. And on that strip sack, though, that's a good example of like the, why the quarterback, you know, whenever you're back there for like two seconds or three seconds, you have to climb the pocket, you know. And Luton took a deep drop back, stood there, never climbed the pocket and allowed Watts to be able to bend and make a play he probably shouldn't have been able to make it all. Uh, but Watts did get sacked number 100. He was by far the Texans' best pass rusher today by far out of guys like Carlos Watkins and P.J. Hall and Charles Amenehu until he got hurt and Jonathan Greenard. You know, he was the best one of that bunch. But uh, again, like he, he had a lot of one-versus-one matchups out there against Taylor and against Cam Robinson and did a whole lot with the middle. So, Carlos, do you think we're past the point of ever expecting J.J. to be J.J. again? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think so. Um, I've said it before. I really hate to as well. Like, J.J. just seems like, like if he were transferred to over to a contender like the Steelers or, you know, the Packers or whoever's uh, in the hunt right now, um, he would be more of a bullpen guy. Like, I don't think he's that every down beast that he used to be. Um, and it, it would be ridiculous to expect him to be anywhere near that. Uh, I think he's worth a player to a game where he just kind of pops off the screen and does something that makes us reminisce. But uh, no, absolutely not. I don't think he's. I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to be JJ. I think. I think we take what we can get, honestly, at this point in his career. Yeah. Uh, with his injury history, I mean, really, there's only so much that we can ask. Yeah, and I mean, it's beautiful that he's been able to play um, all eight games so far this year. And like last year, like he was JJ. You know, like he had that game against Indy where he had like six quarterback hits, I think, and zero sacks and like three tackles for a loss and like anchored down the entirety of that defensive line against Indianapolis, especially like on stunts and using inside swim moves against um, against their right tackle. I don't know. I'm, break- I'm blanking on his name now because I'm old and stupid uh, nowadays. But like he had a really great game last year in that in that aspect of it. And like I think we're I agree. I think we're past that point. Like I think a really good example of what JJ could be with you know Dwight Freeney with Atlanta. And uh, and I think Atlanta, I think Arizona's well too. I can't remember which one he was good on. I think it was Atlanta though. Like Dwight Freeney was really great, like in pure pass rushing downs and like saving his entire body for those moments. And I think that's like the future for Watt, but like the future for Watt isn't paying him fifteen and a half million dollars. Uh, on a bad on a bad defense that needs to be completely reconfigured as well too. And so we had another question here from at Confused Lefty, and he asked after JJ's comments in the week about not wanting to be part of a rebuilding job, would a new head coach be trying to convince him to stay, or would be trading him away when the season ends be the correct move? With his comments about not wanting to be in a rebuild situation. Um, obviously the team is in a rebuild situation. There is not enough talent on either side of the ball to, for anybody to come in and say, you know, it's just a simple, you know, scheme adjustment here. And, you know, we'll bring in some new coaches here and we'll be right back in the playoff hunt. It's not that simple. It's not, we're not at that place. We're not um, going to be in that place, I think for a little bit. And so I think if a new coach comes in, it's a really hard sell. I mean, it's an incredibly hard sell. The it's all all the frameworks literally there. I mean, you can see the writing on the wall and I think JJ can definitely read it. So it might be better off just really trying to find some value, you know, Mm -hmm. that we can get in return or somebody that really needs that extra 
oomph to get over the hill somewhere else. Um, but I don't think there's any coach in the world that can walk into into NRG and tell JJ like, yeah, no, we're we're ready to compete right now for a championship. I don't think that's possible. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think even like competing for a playoff spot next year is gonna be difficult. Like even with the seven seven seed created, uh, they're gonna have to hit like every single move next year and like be able to find some like contributors in like the third and fourth round and be able to develop talent. Like a lot of things have to really go right to you know have Watson be able to pull this team you know, next year in that direction too. But yeah, I have this idea of like Houston being a championship team. Like I couldn't even put a, a number like a year a year on it all. Like there's so many things that have to go right for them to even be, you know, good enough again next year and even compete for that sort of spot too. But I think like I don't know if they even called it all. They, Kyle said that he wasn't even taking any phone calls. Uh, that thing that you post about Albert Breer and what, what he said on that. And so I think it's a case where this offseason they have three options. They, they can either cut him, extend him and not pay him fifteen dollars a year next not pay him fifteen million next year. Or they can you know, find a good spot and trade them and try to get like a third round pick or you know second round pick. And I think if you get if you get a third one third round pick, you have to think about it. If you get if you, if you get a second round pick, it's a trade that you have to make, and that's kind of the spot that they're stuck with them. Uh, but yeah, like it's, I don't necessarily think this is gonna be like a rebuilding, like tear it down and tank sort of thing. But this is definitely gonna be like we're gonna have to make decisions and rebuild the fly, and even fine for the playoffs is gonna be you know very difficult as well too. Uh, so speaking of JJ, he had his he had his 100th sack today. Carlos, what is your favorite sack of Watt's career up to this point? <sighs> I saw this one and I thought 100 sacks. Is there anyone that really sticks out to me? And for the life of me, there's been so many that I can't. I, I don't think I can single one out. Like to me, when I think of JJ, I think of the more bombastic, you know. The uh, the SWAT, um, you know the 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 pick return, um, you know a lot of those those kind of plays. And so, if I were to pick a sack, um, I'm probably gonna go with something recent. So probably like I don't know the playoff game last year against the Bills. Like it, it was a pretty critical sack that ended up keeping us in the game and mm-hmm. allowed us to you know do what we needed to do. I mean, before that, it's just all you know, all a blur. Yeah, I know. It's weird because I asked this and I was I was having the same thing. And I don't even know if like the sack is Cody Ford. Like, the, the Cody Ford sack was really cool just because of the optics around it where he comes back from his pectoral injury. You know, it was a big play that knocked Buffalo off field goal range. Um, it was a good, it was a good ghost rib sack and all that as well too. And, uh, but I, I haven't really been able, been able to think of like, of what, that's more of a recency thing though. You know what I mean? As, as far as like mm-hmm. a really great sack that really sticks out, I think there's just been so many of them that's hard to like pull one out. And he was also injured for so long, and then for those like two years in a row. But like you know, 2012 was a long time ago. You know, 11 was a long time ago. So I need to go back and watch all, all of them and see. So which one do you have now that you found one? Zach Menberger, the sack on the Zach sack. Yes, because all of the crap that he, I oh my gosh, it hit me like a wave. The, all the crap that he was talking and the fact that he just came out and, you know, dunked on him, did the finger wag, the whole thing. It was, <laughs> yeah, that's that was one. That was me. Zach was just trying to have a good time. You know, he's like, what the hell am I doing today? You know, <laughs> just showed up. He's like, yeah, your star is like, oh, okay. All right. Poor guy. I, I'm, you know, I was away today, but I really wanted to post the Zach Menberger selfie um, in memory of Jake Luton, you know, starting today, but yeah, I wasn't able to do that. But yeah, that's a good one. The, the selfie um, celebration was pretty funny, but he was being a real stepdad 
you know, by doing that to Zach, just trying to have a good time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to actually pull the clips, though, maybe starting to, tomorrow and try to pull all 100 sacks and try to go back through here and see. Because, again, like, it's it's weird. I think there's just been so many of them and it's been such a long time. And there's such a long gap there as well, too, that, like, and there was not, like, a really big one in the playoffs aside from the Cody Ford thing. That's, like, it's hard to think of just, like, one pure uh, Watt sack, you know? Right. So the other question we have here is from at Phil Johnson Y. And he asked, is Keon Crossan better than Hargreaves? Is John Reed better than Hargreaves? God save the secondary. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, you know, it's actually funny because when Keon Crossan came in, uh, I believe he actually made a decent tackle. And we all kind of in the chat were like, okay, so like Keon's better than Hargreaves already because he can actually tackle. And the same sentiment was found on Twitter. Um and then he proceeds to get juked out by whatever Jake Luton is. And, uh, you know, that flew right out the window. But I think really anybody could be <laughs> anybody is better than Vernon Hargraves. I would take any like, I don't know, drag J. Joe back in here. Give him give him give him the spot back. Put Hargraves back in wherever you found him. Uh, anybody's better. And. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, today Pancakes uh, talked about, or John McClain, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, talked about uh, Bradley Roby and his suspension, and he kind of added a little like personal zing to it, you know, that, oh, it was an embarrassment to the franchise, and he left his team high and dry when he needed it. It's like, dude, come on. Like, even Bradley Roby kind of kind of uh, zinged on it. and it, it may have not have been so painful to see today if Roby was out there. I mean, it probably would have been just as bad, but maybe... Mm-hmm. It would have been disguised a little bit more, but because we had to see Hargraves under the spotlight, it was just ridiculous how bad he is. Yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, it's been like this for that that game against Green Bay was unbelievable. I felt bad for him at sometimes, too. It's like, I can't believe they're putting you in these spots, Vernon. Like, you should be a fifth cornerback, and here you are as so a second corner. And, like, I don't particularly love Gary and Conley, but his absence was really kind of traumatic for this team this year. And it, it's like, I don't know if they don't have doctors at all. Like, I don't know how you can allow this, like, this ankle injury of Gary and Conley have, have us be like this way, this part through the season and have him still not play. Not ever once during that, be like, Hey, this is bad. It's not getting better. You guys need to find somebody else to come and play this role. And like, Oh, we like the guys that we have. Like Vernon can do it. And um, it's been so far from that as well too. But yeah, I think, I don't know. Put Crossing out there. Who cares? Put, anybody, I'll, put me out there. I'll go out there and try to play some cornerback. Who cares <laughs> at this point? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And again, like just get the kids out there. You know, get Lion Johnson Jr. play some deep thirds. You know, he can do that. Uh, get Keon Cross out there playing slot corner. Take Eric Murray out of those roles. You know, just get the, just get somebody else out there. Um, did you see Corey Lugett play the snap today? No, not at all. Yeah, I was like, who's number 94? Or not number, I think it's 94, 91. I was like, who is mm. that? And it was just this big, you know, this big giant guy. And it's Corey Lugett. It's insane. I had, really, I had no <laughs> idea they signed him, but he was out there today. Uh, even so we're really like this is like week 16 football and it's week eight and that's what we're getting right now so our last oh, question for tonight is from at smooth grandma and he asked is this the start of an eight game winning streak <laughs> oh man uh obviously not like 
definitely not. This may be an eight-game losing streak for all we know. <laughs> it could be really, really bad. And the fact that he put that out into the universe is just trying to jinx us. I think, I think uh, well, you can't let Kyle hear you be laughing because Kyle really thinks so. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I guess Deshaun said there would have been hell if the Texas trade will fuller. So I'm glad that uh, – that he's making, he's running the the general manager position, you know, for the rest of the year. That's good. I'm glad about that. I, I'm, I'm I, that Bleacher Report article was so fun this year, and they asked the players to thought about O'Brien, like some unnamed you know sources sort of thing. Like, well, I think he was a great GM. You know, we understand they had Trey Hopkins because of money. And again, like, don't let the players make GM moves. They, you know, they're playing, they're playing football. They, it's they don't see it from that perspective. So, um, right. whatever. But like, so the next eight games we got at Cleveland. Against the Patriots, the Patriots have a good run offense. At Detroit on Thanksgiving, the Colts at Chicago, at Indianapolis, Cincinnati, and then Tennessee. And they're, they're, they could lose all eight of these games, you know. And if the run defense wasn't as bad as it was, you could expect, like, well, maybe they could play against uh, Chicago, maybe they could play against Cleveland or New England. Um, I think they could play against Chicago a little bit because of how bad Chicago's offense is, maybe. But even then, like, Nick Foles may be able to throw. You have her 400 yards against them, you know, too. So who knows there? But yeah, it's going to be you know, a bad eight weeks. And the the last thing I want to say, and I, I'm upset I forgot to say this earlier, but so this game came down to a two-point conversion. Week two against Jackson last year came down to a two-point conversion. That run, you know, they try to give it to Leonard Fournette up the middle. He gets a, you know, DJ Reader is able to drive the guy inside and knock Leonard Fournette off his, off his, off his path, at least to Justin Reed making the, the game-winning tackle this week was entirely different. This week you have uh, DJ Chark and Lute, and he's wide open and Luton misses him by throwing the ball behind, and that's why the Texans beat the Jaguars this time. And so it is kind of beautiful to know that even if even if Houston's going like you know eleven and five making the postseason, or if Houston is you know two and six, they can at least beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Houston's two and six, both with wins against Jacksonville, and uh, Doug Marone can never seem to conquer this dragon, even without Bill O'Brien there as well. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have his uh, he didn't have his buddy to throw him a bone on this one. And honestly, we escaped. I think any other quarterback in the league makes that throw and, uh, you know, converts that two point and loot loot on whatever happened. I think he just should try to run it again because he had a lot of success with it. So, uh, yeah, I think Karma still looked down on us today and said, yeah, I'll throw you one. And we got it. <laughs> Well, beautiful. I'm glad Kyle's happy. I'm glad Kyle's <laughs> smiling up in the press box and he's very happy right now. Oh yeah. I hope Jack. I hope Jack had a good time at Mass this morning too. And uh, I'm glad the Texans <laughs> got their win. And uh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. And also more than anything, Carlos, I'm very glad I was able to speak to you today. So that's our show for tonight. Do you have anything that you're planning on right this week? Do you have anything else that you want to add before we close things down? Uh, just we're on to Cleveland. Yeah, that's gonna be a fun game. Uh, a lot of outside zone, a lot of Baker Mayfield rolling right and rolling left, and throwing. Your, I think Zach Cunningham could have interception this game. That's Ooh. my my one bold prediction. I think Zach Cunningham should he should, and uh, and Mayfield has no idea what he's doing. You know, <laughs> he's like yeah. a he's like a Mayfield. He's like a Johnny Manziel was an alcoholic instead of a meth head. Like that's really what what he is. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't mean that all. It's a joke, of course. They're both very beautiful, strong men. Uh, so until next week, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Ballard Radio. And thanks for being on tonight, Carlos. Thank you, thank you.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Priceline. 